What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Run the Damn Pod. I'm your host, Jordan. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Make sure, like I always say, to follow and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a beat. We are more than halfway through the college football season now, so you guys know the drill at this point. We're going to start off with our UGA breakdown, then our offensive and defensive players of the game for Georgia before we go into college football-wide news, checking out the game of the week player of the week, check out who I'm buying and selling, and then whip around with some headlines, Heisman projections, playoff predictions, hot takes and picks. So standard format as always, guys. If you're not a Georgia fan, if you don't want to listen to me rant and rave about Georgia, skip forward about five, ten minutes and you'll get into the college football wide news. But like I said, appreciate you guys tuning in. About to break down the week seven action here. Um I think it's week seven, week six or week seven action, whatever this one ends up being. Um, so starting off with the Georgia game, took on Vandy on Saturday in their homecoming game. And honestly, business as usual for the dogs who shut out Vandy for the second year in a row in a 55 to nothing beatdown, covered the 38 point spread. So look good all around. Um, so just some quick things to note. The passing attack did kind of on Saturday return to early season form with Stetson Bennett going 24 for 30, 289 yards and two touchdowns through the air. And Carson Beck actually added 98 yards and two touchdowns in mop-up duty. So overall, passing attack looked good. It was really promising to see that. Todd Munkin looked like he was in his bag for the play calling. I only saw the tight end bubble screen once, maybe twice. So Liked what I saw from the passing attack. Again, the rushing attack saw its usual merry-go-round of contributors with five different running backs rushing for positive yardage. But I will say the success is continuing to hide behind the lack of gaudy stats as, you know, Georgia piled up 192 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. So nobody's really getting those gaudy stats, those Heisman looks. Nobody's putting up B. John Robinson-type numbers. But the ground game is working, working behind a great offensive line. So not much to complain about there. Like I said, in the passing attack, Dylan Bell actually did seem to make some strides in this game, which was huge to see. He hauled in all five of his targets for 54 yards and a touchdown. And honestly, I was most impressed by his early game called back touchdown, which initially was left stand, um, where he was tackled but kind of rolled over the guy, needed and go down. And as a true freshman, he had the awareness to get up and keep going. Went in for a touchdown, turns out his elbow was down, but I still liked what I saw from a true freshman having that awareness to, hey, Mighty didn't touch the ground, let's get up and keep going and let the officials call it. So really liked what I saw from him. I would be remiss if I didn't point out fan favorites, Dom Blaylock and Eric Gilbert got in on the action too. Each caught a touchdown on the day, which for both of them was their first of the year and their first since 2019. Don Blaylock obviously suffering some knee issues, back-to-back ACLs, finally trying to get healthy. And Eric Gilbert been away for personal reasons, a variety of reasons, over the last couple seasons after transferring from LSU. So really liked what I saw from them and had to give a shout-out to those guys for sticking with it, sticking with the team, doing their best, working hard week in and week out, and it's finally starting to pay off. Can't wait to see them kind of get bigger roles, less so in mop-up duty and more so meaningful snaps as the season goes on. On the defensive side of things, defense did still struggle to get some consistent pressure on the quarterback, but Nolan Smith notched a sack, and the team did total four tackles for loss. 
all that while holding Vandy to 105 yards through the air and only 45 yards on the ground. More of a vintage UGA defense performance like what we're used to seeing. Chris Smith, absolutely massive in run support, led the team with five tackles, and he recovered two fumbles. While Ty Key Smith, his partner in crime at the safety position, returned to his West Virginia All-American form with a beautiful breakup in pass coverage and a forced fumble. Really physical play from him all day. All told, this is rare, but you're really not going to catch me nitpicking a 55 to nothing shutout, even if it's against Vandy. Plays across the board, great performance from Georgia. Really liked what I saw. Offensive player of the game, it's about damn time I call this man's name. We got to show Big O, Darnell Washington, some love. Washington was the team's leading receiver, caught all four of his targets for 78 yards. What impressed me the most was his fear, sheer physical dominance on the field. It was on full display, a couple of effortless one-handed grabs that proved he has some of the best hands on the team. It kind of helps when the ball is a Nerf ball compared to his hands. But you can't deny the guy's got some of the best hands on the team. He catches anything thrown his way. I do understand Brock Bowers is still the best tight end in the game, one of the best offensive players in college football. But it baffles me that Washington is yet to get more involved in this Georgia offense, especially in the red zone. But I will say I loved what I saw on Saturday with 78 yards. Really liked what I saw from him. Great performance. And hopefully this will lend itself to more volume and more scoring opportunities in the near future, especially, like I said, in the red zone. When you've got a six foot seven, 270 target, 270 pound target posted up in the end zone, still boggles my mind how we can't seem to find ways to get him the ball inside the 10 yard line. But great, great performance from him on Saturday. Really excited by what I saw and looking forward to the rest of the season for him. Defensive player of the game, kind of already touched on him, but we're going with the safety Smiths on this one. We got Chris and Tyke Smith, co-defensive players of the game for me. Like I said, Chris led the way with five tackles and two fumble recoveries, but Tyke's play was just as impactful. His physical run support, his blanket coverage were huge throughout the game. He had the emergence of Malachi Starks and the transition back to the field from injury for Tyke. Taking all that into account, it's been easy to forget how dominant he was at West Virginia before he joined the Dogs, and it's great to see him reminding everybody why he was such a highly touted player and such a highly touted transfer coming in and why Kirby made him such a priority two years ago. After tearing his ACL last year, great to see him getting back on the field, making a name for himself, and like I said, Malachi Starks has been an awesome story this year, one of the best freshmen in college football, but Tyke is here to remind everybody why he was the top safety in the nation two years ago. So really cool to see him kind of burst back onto the scene. Meanwhile, like I said, Chris Smith is continuing to take full advantage of his super senior season. This is fifth, sixth year, something like that. And he's playing himself into early round draft conversations. I think last year, if he'd have asked people, he'd probably been a sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh round kind of pick. He's playing himself into that second and third and potentially even first round conversation. So really like what I'm seeing from Chris this year. And the safety Smiths are tearing it apart for the dogs. Really liked what I saw from them on Saturday. So those are my defensive players of the game. So getting in under the seven and a half minute mark with the Georgia breakdown. I think that's a new record for me. I'm proud of my performance. Moving on to college football wide news and starting with our game of the week. You guys know it's a crazy week of college football when Tennessee takes down Alabama for the first time in 15 years, rips down the goalpost, walks out of the stadium with it, throws the goalpost in the river, and still has competition for game of the week honors. Let's be honest. 
that game was the game of the week by almost any metric. I get it. But give credit where it's due. TCU overcame three separate 14-point deficits in each of the first three quarters to finally take down number eight Oklahoma State in double overtime. That was an undefeated matchup between number 14 and number eight, I think. And then Utah also stormed back from two touchdown deficits multiple times in their matchup against Run the Damn Pod Darling, USC, before toppling the Trojans with a Dalton Rising touchdown in the final minute of the game. The narrative, the notoriety, the energy, the publicity around Alabama, and the passion. I'd be remiss if I didn't neglect the if I didn't mention the passion around the Bama UT game, does make it the game of the week. But all of those three games featured single-digit last-minute wins in matchup between matchups between teams with legitimate conference title and potentially CFP hopes. In those three games, there was only one loss amongst all six of those teams. So these are all teams in the thick of the conversation this year. Days like October 15th, 2022 are what make college football great. And honestly, I'm just glad it didn't happen this Saturday. And I get to enjoy all the magic firsthand. I got to watch all of that back-to-back. It was so much fun. That's why we love college football. While Bama-Tennessee is the game of the week, super, super excited by what I saw from TCU, from Oklahoma State, and from that Utah-USC game. Love college football, man, and days like Saturday remind me why. My player of the week, you could go so many different directions this week, is Jalen Hyatt. Jalen Hyatt is the player of the week. Hendon Hooker and Bryce Young, even at a loss, Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker and Bryce Young, both turned in remarkable performances in their own right. But honestly, Jalen Hyatt's performance was the most dominant performance I've seen from a wideout since Justin Jefferson's four-touchdown semifinal show out for LSU in 19. Hyatt broke UT's single-game receiving touchdown mark of four, three or four, and he did it only on, on only six receptions. Five touchdowns on six receptions. That's insane. He averaged an absurd 35 yards per catch and made the biggest plays when it mattered most. The crazy thing, too, about watching Jalen Hyatt play is his emergence has really come in tandem with Brew McCoy's surge in the absence of Cedric Tillman, who's supposed to be Tennessee's number one target coming into the season. Once Tillman returns, you really could see a 2019 LSU-type offense, and I'm not sure there's a defense in the nation that can stop that three-headed monster guided by the best quarterback in the SEC and Hendon Hooker. Tennessee's offense looks ridiculous, and Jalen Hyatt was a man out of hell on Saturday. He was on a mission, super impressed, obviously player of the week with, like I said, six receptions, five touchdowns, and I think 209 yards, 205 yards, something like that, if you care about the yardage. So really impressed. That's my player of the week. Jalen Hyatt crushed it. Like I said, tons of great performances too. Hendon Hooker, Bryce Young and his loss still played excellent football. Dalton Rising out of Utah and Utah's tight end, Kincaid, I want to say. Great performances from them, but you can't give it to anybody but Jalen Hyatt this weekend. Incredible, incredible stuff from him. Moving on now to who I'm buying and selling. Right now, buying. You guys are going to have to bear with me on this one. An all-SEC playoff. I'm not saying it'll happen, but there's a very, very real scenario that I need you guys to picture. Georgia beats Tennessee. Georgia then proceeds to lose in the SEC championship to Alabama. Meanwhile, Ole Miss only drops one regular season game to Alabama. Clemson in the ACC is going to slip up somewhere along the line in this scenario. 
Michigan's going to beat Ohio State, and then they're going to lose in the Big Ten title game. I get there's a lot going on here, and there are too many other moving parts, even within this scenario, to lock it in with any certainty. But the possibility is alarmingly real that in that scenario, which is not out of the realm of possibility, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, and Ole Miss are the four playoff teams. I'm buying that because I think it would set college football on fire, and because in the SEC, it freaking just means more, baby. SEC football is the class of college football, and this playoff scenario would prove it. Like I said, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't project it to happen. And honestly, even if all of this played out and all the moving pieces fell the right way, I think the committee would have a hard time even committing to a four-team SEC playoff. But that possibility is very real and could happen, and I'm buying it because I want it. All in, no holds barred. I want a full SEC playoff. So moving on from that, from being an SEC homer, who else am I buying? I'm buying Syracuse. They've proven me wrong every step of the way. And coming or at 6-0, and coming off a ranked win, I'm buying the Orange until Saturday. The toughest football is ahead of them starting this weekend with a road test against Clemson, followed by a home date with Notre Dame, who showed some life, and then a showdown with Wake in a couple of weeks. Two of those games, I will say, are very winnable. I'm done picking teams to upset Clemson because it's never worked in my favor. But I am buying Syracuse, and you just imagine the fighting Dino Babers, Dino Babers, knocking off Clemson in Death Valley and setting up the momentum for the rest of the season to win the ACC championship after that schedule. It could happen, and if it does, try keeping Syracuse out of the playoff. That would make my season, seeing Syracuse in the playoff. Like I said, I'm not picking them to beat Clemson. I'm just buying them until this Saturday, and I'm buying the chaos that it would cause if they did win. But it's fun to watch this team right now, and I would love to see some ACC parity in the form of Syracuse taking down the Mighty Tigers. So we'll see how that plays out. Like I said, I'm just buying them for right now because it's fun to watch. Moving on to who I'm selling right now. I hate this because I did just set up an all-SEC playoff, but I'm selling Ole Miss. Their station as a top-10 team, while it's not necessarily undeserved, is tenuous at best. Let's take a look at their resume real quick. They have a one-possession win over Tulsa. They have a lucky three-point win over Kentucky at home that Kentucky should have won on two separate occasions. Ole Miss also trailed in the first half to Vandy before kicking it into high gear in the second half. And they only pulled away from Auburn late this past weekend. Now, I get it, especially this season, 7-0 and is 7-0. and But you can't sit here and tell me that you feel confident about the Rebels making it through the rest of the season without dropping a game or two, even outside of the Bama game, given what we've seen from them to this point. Their record is 7-0, and but their performance on the field has looked shoddy. If we're going to hold that against Georgia for two weeks, we've got to hold it against Ole Miss. And I think we should hold it against Georgia for their games against Kent State and Mizzou. But if we're going to do that, we have to acknowledge the elephant in the room here. Ole Miss isn't all they've cracked up to be. They're not as good as their record shows. They're in the thick of it right now, but Ole Miss is on shaky ground. And with games coming up still against LSU, against Alabama, I just don't see a scenario in which they get through the season with less than two losses. So 
Moving on from that, I think this may be the second time I've had to sell this narrative this offseason. I know it's a narrative I've sold before, and I seem to always come out on top of this one. I'm selling the Bama hate. Take this from a Georgia fan. When the whole world is celebrating your loss like it's their win, when the entirety of college football is rallying behind your loss like it's a win for their team, even some Georgia fans in this scenario, you're doing something right. Was it cool to see the ensuing chaos after Chase McGrath's field goal snuck past the crossbar? Absolutely. Am I excited now for a top three showdown in Athens if Tennessee can get past Kentucky and Georgia can get past Florida? Hell yes. Does this change my opinion that Bama's the most dangerous team in football? No, it does not. Not a chance. Alabama lost on a last-second field goal to the best offense in college football, at least the best offense in the SEC. I know you can put Ohio State up there. Potentially the best offense in college football. In bar none, the most intimidating atmosphere in college football this season with a half-healthy quarterback at the helm. You can't tell me Bryce Young was fully good to go in that game. He gave him the best chance to win. He wasn't fully healthy. The offense was still humming, and while there are serious concerns on defense, Nick Saban is the king of post-loss adjustments. I just finished dragging Ole Miss, and that's the last remaining test on Alabama's schedule. Outside of that, they're home free. They control their own destiny, and should they make it to Atlanta, either for a rematch with the Bulls or for a meeting with Georgia, you've really got to like their odds. Given the history of repeat matchups, i.e. Tennessee, and the Tide's recent success against Georgia, you really got to like Alabama in either case. I'm not saying they do win, but I'm saying settle down on the Alabama hate. Settle down on projecting them with two losses in the Citrus Bowl. I'm done with this crap. Nick Saban coach teams are going to find a way to get where they want to be. I'm not saying this team has looked every bit as good as they should. I'm not saying they don't have their issues. I'm not even saying they should necessarily be the favorite for the title. But slow down on the Bama hate. They control their own destiny. They lost a tough game. Whatever. You guys have seen what Nick Saban does when his team's backs are against the wall. I'm saying stick with the tide. If this proves wrong in a couple of weeks, I'll eat my crow. But I'm not betting against Nick Saban, and I'm not betting against Alabama right now. So that wraps up my buying and selling for the week. Moving on to the headlines for this week. Breaking news, the NCAA still sucks. I can't remember if this was the NCAA or if it was the SEC, but whoever it was, they fined Tennessee $100,000 for fan conduct after fans stormed the field Saturday. On top of the $150,000 that Tennessee already had to pay to replace the goalposts that were torn down. So, really not loving this. The NFL is the no-fun league, but the NCAA is fat, ugly cousin. This is ridiculous. Mad respect, honestly, to Tennessee's stadium security and to Knoxville PD for realizing that resistance is indeed futile. You were not stopping drunk, happy Tennessee football fans on Saturday. And honestly, you shouldn't. There's no better look in college football than seeing a team's fans storm the field after a big win. Should the or should the Georgia Tennessee game in Athens be a one versus two or one versus three matchup? I want to see whoever wins that game. Tennessee fans, Georgia fans, I don't care. Storm the field. We need more storming the field. I love it. It's fun. It's a great look for college football. And I hate that the NCAA or the ACC or whoever is still finding teams for this. I think it's ridiculous. I get the player safety issue. I did just see earlier today Jermaine Burton slapping a couple of Tennessee fans or something like that. I get it. 
I don't know if you can control it or not, but still, I love seeing fans rush the field. I think it's a cool, exciting experience for everybody involved, except the players on the other team. Honestly, in my opinion, get over it. So that's my news for the week. Moving on to the Heisman 4. This one's getting to be kind of a two-horse race at this point. My four right now are C.J. Stroud, Hendon Hooker, still got Caleb Williams up there, and still got Dorian Thompson-Robinson DTR up there. No change from last week for me. Like I said, Stroud and Hooker have looked otherworldly impressive in equal measure. And honestly, at this point in the season, they both deserve the award. Their respective performances in the second half of the season are really what's going to determine this race. But like I said, right now it's a two-man race at the top. The reason I still have Caleb Williams on there, despite the loss, he still looks every bit as good as expected when he transferred from Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. And DTR turned in a great performance and can cement or tank his spot on this list with a critical matchup against Oregon this weekend. So that's where I have it right now. I love what I see out of Bijan Robinson as well, just to give the man his respect. Max Dugan looks really solid for TCU as well. But that's what I'd say. My top four right now, Stroud, Hooker, obvious one and two, and then Williams and DTR are my three and four. I would listen to arguments for a lot of great players at three and four. But like I said, right now, this two-horse race for me between C.J. Stroud at Ohio State and Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. Moving on from Heisman, we got the playoff projections. This week, things got a little bit interesting, so I'm going to give you my projections, and I'm going to give you my breakdown. Right now, in order, I'm having to project out a little bit, but we've got Ohio State at number one. I've got Clemson number two, Alabama number three, and Tennessee number four. I hate doing this, but we're entering projection territory here, and there are so many different combinations that seem possible, if not likely at this point. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, all undefeated, all control their own destiny to a certain degree. In my mind, I don't see Ohio State dropping a game, and they walk into the playoff as the clear number one. Clemson I see as a solid number two with an undefeated season and an ACC championship win. I do right now still personally think that Bama takes the SEC, and I just haven't seen enough from Georgia against elite competition to give me enough confidence to pick them over Tennessee. I know they're 10.5-point favorites. They're number one in the country. The last time I saw them play real stiff competition was week one against Oregon. They passed with flying colors. I just haven't seen stiff competition since then enough to make me think that they can take down either of the teams that played in Knoxville this weekend. Their only true test, like I said, has come against Oregon. That game seems like a full season ago. Georgia's the number one team in the country, like I said, but Tennessee is going to have all the momentum heading into that game on November 5th, provided they can get by Kentucky. I think Kentucky with a healthy Will Levis is going to have something to prove, and I do still think they'll get a signature win on the season. But should Tennessee coast into Athens still undefeated? That's a one versus two or one versus three matchup. And I think Tennessee's got the momentum going into that game. In this scenario, I like I said, I see Ohio State versus Tennessee in a semifinal, Clemson and Alabama in the other semifinal. I've got Alabama and Ohio State for the title with the Buckeyes coming out on top. So that's what my playoff looks like right now. Obviously, things change. And for some reason, I'm sticking with the Alabama narrative. But like I said, you guys go ahead and bet against Nick Saban. That's not going to be me. Moving on from that, we've got our hot takes for this week. Last week, I missed on FSU again, and I missed my Bama pick. It did look really promising there at the end, I'm not going to lie. I even texted all my groomsmen and said, you guys better listen to the pod this week. 
looks like I'm going to be right. And then Will Riker decided he forgot how to kick a field goal and it went the opposite way. But we'll take it. We move on. My hot takes are never good anyway, but we stick with them. This week, I think Bama's defense bounces back and they don't allow a touchdown to Mississippi State's air raid attack. I'm not going to say they hold them to a shutout, but no touchdowns for Alabama's defense this week. Or no touchdowns for Mississippi State's offense is probably a more accurate way to put that. Second hot take, I think LSU derails the lane train this weekend and beats Ole Miss at home. Like I said, Ole Miss has gotten lucky a couple times. They've looked on shaky ground. I'm not buying what I see from them. I believe this game is in Death Valley. I've got LSU taking down Ole Miss at home. For all the issues they have, they're bound to come through for me at some point. The Tigers are and hit me on a hot take. So are we going 2-0 this weekend? Probably not, but those are my takes. Now we got to get into my picks. I went 3-6 and six last week. I dropped to 35-18 and 18 on the season. It was a real letdown of a week and a crucial situation for me. But no time to lament. It's time to get back on track this weekend. There's good energy coming in this weekend. I feel it. Here are my picks. I've got Ohio State over Iowa, obviously. I have Clemson over Syracuse. I've got Cincinnati taking down SMU. Like I said, I've got LSU over Ole Miss. I think Oregon takes down UCLA and ends the Pac-12's playoff chances right there. I think Texas rolls over Oklahoma State, two really impressive teams. But Quinn Ewers and B. John Robinson have got Texas on track. I think they beat Oklahoma State. I think Bama wins big over Mississippi State. Penn State over Minnesota. Minnesota let me down last weekend with a loss to Illinois. I'm holding it against them. I think James Franklin's uh, Nittany Lions come out pissed off after their performance against Michigan. They were pissed off at halftime. Why not be pissed off this weekend and get a win over the fighting P.J. Flex? And then I have TCU keeping their magical season alive over Kansas State for at least one more week. So those are my picks this week. We're going to bounce back after a 3-6 and six performance last weekend and get back on track. So... That wraps up the pod for this week, ladies and gents. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, like I always say, like, follow, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. If you can't find it, let me know and we'll hook you up. As always, guys, cheers and go dogs.